is marijuana addictive? You know, it's not a, it's, it's not considered a substance that could be addictive. So it's not really a problem. You know, everybody has all these sheet um, and gears of how they can justify it. However, the reality is whether or not people want to say it is or isn't addictive, the feeling of euphoria that people get, that feeling becomes addictive. That feeling becomes something people need. And then all of a sudden it starts creeping into life. So I can tell you from our perspective at Amudim, the amount of shalom bias issues that we're seeing as a result of marijuana, the amount of children's issues because of the parents using it are just getting bigger and bigger. Rabbi Tzvi Gluck is the CEO of Amudim, an amazing organization that needs no introduction. They help people in all sorts of crises. And Rabbi Gluck joins us today to discuss marijuana use in the Frum community. Rabbi Gluck has dealt with all sorts of communal issues, I believe, since age 15. I personally have very deep admiration for your work. The way I like to describe it, you're somebody who sort of says the quiet part out loud. I see if Yidin are suffering, no matter how controversial the issue might be, you're not afraid to speak up, even when some others are silenced. Rabbi Gluck, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. And um, yeah, I learned that from my father's slang is it in stark that uh, <clears throat> we got to stand up for what's right, regardless of what's going on. That's uh, rule number one. So it's amazing what we have to takes courage. And I'm sure it's not easy. So let's jump right in. How widespread is recreational marijuana use these days in the from community? And has it become accepted in some circles as mainstream and especially among the younger generation? So that's a loaded question that requires yeah. multiple different segments of it. Take your time. Um, first of all, in the from community, it's very hard to ever have numbers of anything because we only hear about those when it becomes an issue. So it's one of those types of things where people ask, like, how bad is alcoholism in the from community? How bad is marijuana use? How bad is, you know, street drug use, prescription, opioids? We don't know. We only know the ones that come to us, and those numbers are quite alarming. Um, as far as what we're hearing regarding marijuana use, both from clients that are reaching out, family members, children, is that it is actually um, very, very much accept acceptable in many, many circles. Um, I would say definitely in the younger, but not necessarily teen circles, we're talking like 30 to 45-year-olds. Um, and Which is scary, I'll just point out, those are parents <laughs> of little children. You know, that's that young married generation. So that's exactly the point that I was going to hit on, that even though something might be legal, first of all, doesn't mean it's good for you. However, in addition to that, it also doesn't mean that children don't know what their parents are doing. And I can't tell you how many times we've spoken to couples and said, listen, your kids know this. No, no, we keep it from them. They don't know. Kids know everything. I mean, I could tell you of a few stories that we've had. One of them was, and I've said this story a few times already, um, but it just really brings out a point. Somebody was at a Shabbos meal. They had their neighbor's child over because there was a family simcha, so the couple was away. And for dessert, the mom brought out brownies. And this eight-year-old girl looks at her neighbors and says, are those the brownies I'm allowed to eat or not allowed to eat? Wow. Refer referencing edibles. Yes, wow is correct. So on one hand, people say to me, wow, that's amazing. This eight-year-old knows to make sure that she can eat it safely. And I'm like, uh-huh, but that also means the eight-year-old knows that there's a concept that's not safe. What do you think the next steps would be? <laughs> yeah. Which brownies is the eight-year-old desperate to try? And then there was an, another situation that we had where um, people actually uh, called for neighbors because they didn't want to call Hatzalah or EMS because two kids, they woke up Shabbos morning and these two kids, twin boys, I think seven or eight years old, were literally lying on the floor in what they thought was unconscious, turned out to be a very deep sleep. And when they opened up the fridge, they realized that these two 
these twins devoured an entire tray of brownies, <clears throat> not knowing what was in the brownies. So, you know, this is just a question on the safety point where people are like, okay, so I'm going to be more safe. So we're going to address that as well. But the first concept is that because of the mechanism of which marijuana is being used, whether it's gummies, uh, whether it's cakes, whether it's chocolates, lollipops, you know, so many other things, people that are not going to be using it or don't want to be using it might end up doing so. That's number one. The second big issue that we have with marijuana is that at the end of the day, the human brain does not fully develop until, depending on which, you know, uh, scientists we go by, it's either 23 or 26 years old, but it's certainly in that range. So when we're dealing with teenagers, even if they're over 18, so it's legal, or even if it's over 21 and it's legal, the answer is it still affects their brain development. And that's something that really happens. Now, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to ask. But those of us that remember the uh, commercial of this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. With the eggs frying. Yeah, okay, I'll, so I'll the only, Exactly. So the only thing that commercial ever did for me was it made me hungry for eggs. <laughs> um, and that was it. So the, the scare tactics, they just, they don't really work. I mean, they're not, they just don't. So I, I'm always saying we should educate, you know, people can go to drugabuse.gov. There's a tremendous amount of resources. Let people learn what are the effects that marijuana has and let them learn the things that happen from it. And this way they can understand. Now, it may not mean that people won't use it. Maybe they'll be more careful. Maybe they'll use it less. But at least people should be educated, not from this scare tactic, but from understanding it. Now, the other component is, and I know I'm just going on a thing because you asked the questions loaded, so I'm just trying yeah, to You're answer answering them. like my next seven questions already, so that, oh, that's so great. I, I, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, good. It's, it's just, good. Don't apologize. Uh, no problem. So the, the other component is that it certainly does um, get in the way of healthy decision-making. And, and that, I mean, anyone who knows anyone who's ever been high can attest to that. So- Whenever I do say that to people, they're like, well, so does alcohol. And then I remind everybody, why did alcohol become legal after prohibition? Was it because the government felt alcohol was good? Or was it because there was too much murder, too much, you know, stealing? Yeah. The mobs were Mafia, taking yeah. over, right? So it, it, it was So when you make that point, so let me stop you there, because that's a great point. And I've heard this pushback when I'll speak to marijuana users try to defend it well how's it different than alcohol so you're right about the prohibition but here's what the response could be and i'm not taking a stand i'm just throwing it out there is if you go to a kiddish on shabbos morning in thousands of, of different shuls you're not going to see alcohol being treated as a bit of or something that we try to hide but hey we can't uh, you know we, we look at like a like a competition between the bourbon and the scotch and this kind of that kind of the culture surrounding alcohol right now is it, it, it's worship we can have that conversation too. That first of all, that doesn't mean it's right. And I just said this to somebody recently. I was at somebody's house not too long ago to do an intervention. Uh, the husband was an alcoholic. And when I walked into the house, the first thing I saw was literally right when you come in where they had like the shoes and the coat rack, there was a beautiful wine like display with like the finest wines and liquor there. Wow. And I turned to the wife and I'm like, your husband comes home from work every day. And this is the first thing he sees when he opens his door. Like, <laughs> what, are, what are you thinking? Um, but the answer is, I, I say this all the time. What we have done to alcohol is a big problem. And, and I say this, you know, in my house, I, I believe in moderation, not prohibition. 
So you take out the bottle, you pour the lechayim, put the bottle back into the liquor cabinet, and it's a liquor cabinet without glass. You can't see in it so that it doesn't become the highlight of the meal. I never heard of that point. Great point. That's about the glass. No, that's, I mean, I was in Israel a couple of years ago, Sukkis, and I'll never forget. So I had some wines, uh, you know, uh, by the table, and I made it clear before we started the meal, you know, everybody there was overage. I said, one glass of wine. Nobody can have more. That's, that's the rule. You come and eat by me. You, want, you don't like it? Go eat someplace else. And this one guy looks at the bottle and he starts looking at it. Oh, this is a vintage from, and he starts talking as if he knows what he's talking about. Now, the truth is, I don't know if he does or doesn't because I have no clue. But I literally turned to this 22-year-old Bacher and I'm like, what is this? Like, you really think you know? And he goes, yeah, it's very important because where I'm from, everybody's always looking at the wines. You have to know which years are good. <laughs> so, of course, another guy piped up and goes, no, no, no. He really needs to know. He needs to know which years could be a problem with Shemitah. You know, he's bringing in the from side of it, you know. <laughs> so, it really, it is a problem. And, and it's a problem that, as parents, we need to understand. And, and I will say this also. I've told this to so many shul rabbanim, shul presidents, you know, at the end of the day, all it takes is one serious injury or underage situation or even overage, but where somebody can end up in a hospital, hit by a car, you know, who knows what, that will really cause a lot of problems legally, civilly, lawsuits, you know, put all these things aside. I mean, there are a lot of other issues that can come out of it. But at the same time, what you just said is exactly the problem. The problem is that we've turned alcohol into its own Avaidazara. And everybody needs to talk about what year it is. And I just got back from a trip and look at this beautiful bottle I got. It was a great deal. And this is what your kids are seeing. So now the kids are learning from that. And let me ask yeah. you a question. The first time you had scotch, how enjoyable was it? It was honestly probably the most painful feeling of my life. Okay. Yet I can assure you you had a second shot at some point after that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Why? Because if other people are saying it's so good, it must be that good. Yeah, there's a so lot of social pressure. therefore, that is what has been created. So I want to just add one point to the social pressure, and the same thing will go for marijuana as well. If you are at an event, <clears throat> and you are drinking, and you offer somebody a l'chaim, or offer them weed, marijuana, anything you want to call it, and they say no, I ask for one respectful favor to everybody that's seeing this or hearing it. Do not ask a second time. For all you know, the person that's saying no could be in recovery, could have battled a demon, come over it, and you don't want to be the cause of that person taking that one shot or that one hit or that one taste that will now bring that person back to where they were. So that's something I think everybody can respect. Um, but the answer as far as marijuana, getting back to Yeah, that getting is, back yeah, to the marijuana. Yeah. So <clears throat> it is a problem, and, and I'm going to repeat what I said. Alcohol is not safe. We all know that the number one reason for uh, death by motor vehicle accidents in America is drunk driving, which, by the way, interestingly enough, it's usually the driver is not the one that ends up dead. It's usually other passengers or people in other cars or people on the road. And that means the driver now is living the rest of his or her life. Forget about jail, vehicular manslaughter or whatever you want to call it, but knowing that because of their you know, interesting. component, they killed other people. Now, I want to tell you, if you look at Colorado stats – which is the first, uh, one of the first, it's either the first or second, I'm not sure, that made marijuana legal recreationally. Car accidents relating to people being high on weed has skyrocketed, and it's been almost doubling year over year for like four years straight. So number one is, it's the same issue as far as 
driving while impaired or under the influence. People are not able to drive. Now, all the Chachamim are going to say, well, on alcohol, you're driving too fast. Marijuana, you're driving too slow. You're this. I've heard every excuse in the book. At the end of the day, this, this, the, the, the Colorado Highway Patrol and the Department of Transportation have issued these reports clearly showing what the causes have been. Now, the other thing is, um, let's also remember that people, drug dealers are not always the most ethical human beings, I think is the right way to describe it. And many people, even if they can get something legally in a shop, but there's always that guy that has something that can, you know, get me something for a good deal or, you know, whatever it is, people like to have their sources, we'll call it. And people forget that a couple of years ago, three summers ago in the Bronx, there were like 30 overdoses over a weekend and it was marijuana. And everybody always says, well, you can't OD on marijuana. It's not. Well, right. That's one of my was, questions. Yeah. Okay. It was, it, it was laced. Marijuana was laced with fentanyl. And yeah, big issues too much, and it, it was a problem. So there's also the question of the safety component as far as knowing you're not using something that's dangerous. So for that, people will say, oh, I'm going to a store, so it's okay. But then you still have the issues of the brain development, the not making healthy decisions. And what I'm worried about, and it's just a matter of time, is personifying it the way alcohol is being personified. And, you know, but now that gambling is legal, you know, and that's easily accessible because that you just need a smartphone and boom, you're making right. that. So people also forget that a lot of these addictive behaviors and, and there's always these discussions. Well, is marijuana addictive? You know, it's not a it's, it's not considered a substance that could be addictive. So it's not really a problem. You know, everybody has all these um, <coughs> sheet this and gears of how they can justify it. However, the reality is whether or not people want to say it is or isn't addictive, the feeling of euphoria that people get, that feeling becomes addictive. That feeling becomes something people need. And then all of a sudden it starts creeping into life. So I can tell you from our perspective at Amudim, the amount of Shalom bias issues that we're seeing as a result of marijuana, the amount of children's issues because of the parents using it are just getting bigger and bigger. And you know, at the end of the day, it's something that we really need to think about and, and figure out a smart so, way to deal with. And I wanted you to elaborate on, on that. I do want to mention that uh, we're discussing here within the realm of the mental health component, the social component. There's a separate issue, which is a halachic shaila, which Ramesha Feinstein famously has a chuva about marijuana use. So we're going to put that aside. That is, I think, out of the framework of what we're discussing. But uh, Shalom Bias, can you elaborate on how this could become a Shalom Bias issue? Okay, so uh, there's many ways. Um, the simplest and easiest of ways is ugh, my husband comes home, he just gets high and he's not interested in doing anything. He's not helping with the kids. And then all of a sudden, I try to ask him to do something and he snaps at me and then it turns into a fight. And it basically starts spiraling from there. And by the way, the same exact conversation is my wife comes home, the kids are home, they're expecting supper. She's high as a kite, laying on the couch, you know, watching TV. This is something that, by the way, we're seeing literally about 50-50 men and women. So it's not anymore like it's a more of a male issue, female issue. It's, it's literally about across the board and in all age groups. That's one component. The second component is <clears throat> a lot of times the people that are using recreational marijuana are doing so with friends. So now it's not only an issue of the spouse, you know, doing it, but now, oh my gosh, and he or she is coming over with their friends and eating us out of house and home and disrupting when we're trying to deal with the kids and the kids are seeing this and they're getting rowdy and they're getting this and impossible to deal with. So that's another issue. And again, these things all start building up. Now, nobody walks in one day and starts with that, but it starts happening. And then it's 
people that can't afford. You know, at the end of the day, we're living in very, very tough times. People don't have the money that, you know, th th that they would like to have. And then we're hearing from people that like, you know, my spouse is spending money on these things when we can't afford them. By the way, we have that with alcohol too. So you start putting these things together and it's just a recipe for disaster. Now, people will say to me, well, what if I'm 40 years old? I want to get high once a week. It's legal. I'm doing it when my kids aren't around. I'm controlling it. <clears throat> you know, again, it's yeah. legal. If, if somebody is over age and they're going to be responsible about it, it's very hard to tell someone no, because A, they're not going to listen. And B is if somebody is truly being responsible, even if I don't like something, meaning they're in a situation where there's no chance of them getting behind the wheel of a car. There's nobody there that they're going to get into an argument with. Their children are not going to be there to see them do it. You know, all of these variables are away. It's very hard to tell somebody don't do it. So, okay, be safe, be careful, and don't overdo it. I, I don't know what to say. I can't tell you no. It's not, I mean, I, that's just, you know, alcohol is something where it's the same concept, right? If somebody's alone and they're not driving and they're overage and they're not going to be a bad influence on the kids. Okay, so it's the same concept. But that's yeah. very rarely the case. Right. Now, would you say, uh, is, sorry, you can finish the thought. No, no, no. Yeah. Is it different than, let's say, somebody who says, listen, I have a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. You know, people lead very stressful lives, especially with big families, kids, and, you know, financial issues. This is how I unwind. Is it different than, let's say, Xanax, right? I mean, a lot of people are on Xanax, whether they discuss it or not. So how would you respond I'm, to that? I'm happy to discuss that I see a psychologist once a week and a psychiatrist every month, and I have no problem admitting to it, and I'm okay with it, and I think everybody <laughs> should be honest about it. But my answer it. is as follows. Well, it's true. Um, <laughs> the answer is as follows. Yeah, when somebody's prescribed medication, the hope is that there's a doctor prescribing it, a psychiatrist, who's also seeing them, who's also monitoring the dosage, who's also figuring out how much they need, when they need it. So, you know, this, this is the same answer I gave people when I was speaking in high schools five, six years ago, when marijuana was legal, mostly I was in California, then I was giving a lecture about, you know, medical marijuana. And I was like, well, my grandmother uses it, so why can't I? And I said, well, when you take your grandmother's blood pressure medication and, you know, her heart medication, then you tell me <laughs> that you want to take her marijuana too. But that's really my answer to it. It's a great answer. Now, a couple more questions. Um, number one, we're getting back to the edibles, and I was curious – how much of your concern is with the edibles uh, as opposed to, let's say, people who smoke marijuana? And uh, in addition to that, and I don't even know what I'm asking right now, but I just know there's THC and there's CBD and they're not the same thing. So you're concerned uh, about edibles and the danger. Uh, it, does that matter whether or not it has the THC? Okay, so I'm going to answer it as follows, which is I'm not answering that. And why <laughs> am I not answering it? I'll tell you why. Because any answer that I'm going to give you, and I, I, I know the answer. It's not about knowing it. Yeah, no, I get regarding, your point. Regarding the I see where you're going. chemical makeup of it is going to start making people into like, okay, so if I use this one versus that one and it doesn't really have an issue and really it's the CBD that you can use it and it doesn't give you the same effect, then, well, if it's not giving you the same effect, you're not using it. So who are you kidding? So everybody that comes to me with all the shtickle tires of saying, but I did research and this is, okay, so if you're not getting high, then you're not using it. So if you're using it to get high, then don't give me this whole shtickle tire about the different components of it. However, the fact is it's, there's edibles, wax, smoking it, vaping it. Vaping is also tough because you don't smell it. You don't know it's there. And the people that are vaping don't know how much they're vaping either. So there's a lot of issues with that as well, because I use the same example with cigarettes, right? The average person who vapes is vaping three times more than the amount that they would have smoked. 
closed. They're vaping in their house, in their car, in their office. And each drag of it is 10 times more potent than a drag of a cigarette. I'm not saying one. You, if you're using the vapes to get off of cigarettes, then great. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's certain components would be healthier. But I always tell people, limit it to the same amount that you smoked. Because once you start doing it more, you're the same thing. The issue here with right. marijuana is that there's so many different ways of, of ingestion. Now, the issue with the various ways of ingestions are – so first of all, there's a tolerance component. People also forget this. People that have a predisposition to certain types of mental illness, marijuana does have um, a, a serious way of bringing you know, very much um, – I'm going to say like – uh, whether it's uh, anxiety, it can cause people additional anxiety, it can cause people to actually hear things. There's so many other mental health and brain related games that it could play and people may not know about it until they tried it and then they can end up, you know, getting into trouble the first time. So that's something that people need to understand. Um, but at the same time, the other component is it's almost like with other things that we say, it's very hard to know how one's body reacts, you know, and this is what I always loved about people. I know how much I can drink because I can figure out from my BMI, if I have this amount, even though the blood levels are higher, it ends up being baloney. First of all, from a legal standpoint, it's not. In a practical standpoint, it's not. Um, but inhaling it is always going to be the, the fastest method, you know, of delivery. So then people will, you know, inhale it, uh, you know, whether it's smoking or vaping it, and then they're going to use more much quicker versus you have the flip side if people are ingesting it orally and it doesn't have the same effect as quickly they might take a lot more because it's not working so all of a sudden they're overdoing it because it didn't work yet so these are all things that each of them have their own problems the issue that i say is let's focus on the one area that we can everybody can agree on it can be sensible which is let's be a role model for our children therefore if, if people are going to use it and you're using it in the forms of edibles, that becomes a problem because kids see it. They like gummies. They know that they have their beers and now you're having it in marijuana. And all of a sudden, it's something that's easier to try. And if you can try it, I can try it. It's much easier. I'm not saying you should ever do any of it in front of kids, but for kids and kids accessing the, the edibles is also much simpler, no matter how good you want to be about it. I mean, listen, we all know those families that don't let their kids have junk food. And all of a sudden, yeah. you know. Mommy has a bag of edibles in her bag and wow, there's junk food in the house. I'm going to finish it <laughs> off. You wow. know, so these are things that really need to be, really need to be kept in mind. And that's a good segue to really my final question, which is what do you say to parents? And I want to figure out how to phrase this right, because I get the feeling that in quote unquote, certain mainstream circles some yeshivish circles, even it's become accepted enough where you can have a kid and tell me if I'm wrong, who's a good kid, a 16, 17 year old, he's in yeshiva. He's learning, he's productive, and he's not even necessarily a kid at risk, but like this is something he wants to experiment with. And as a parent, I guess it, sometimes it becomes a choice of, okay, this is Biddy Evid, but there's a lot of other things that the kid could be using as an outlet. So how, like how alarmed on a scale of one to 10 would that kind of parent be? So I, I, it's a very tough thing to answer, and I'll tell you why. I mean, Baruch Hashem, I'm the parent of teenagers. I have my daughters going to seminary next year. So, you know, <clears throat> I, I, yeah. I, I'm, 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 I understand this. Um, and, and it's a tough thing. You know, it's almost like people say to me, well, if I know that my kid is doing it and they do it in front of me, then they won't be doing it behind my back. Well, but we also know that's really not true. They might say they're doing it in front of you and not behind your back, but then they are doing it anyway behind your back. Right. So, you know, but at the same time, then a parent might say, well, if I tell my kid flat out, no, they're going to do it anyway. 
again, so this is really a question of parenting style. What I could say is educate the kids. You know, our chinuch systems is doing a great job at making sure our kids are not educated enough about anything important that can cause them serious issues in life. And this is across the board. We don't educate them about alcohol. We don't educate them about <coughs> drug use. We don't educate them about, you know, issues pertaining to sexuality. Like, we just don't believe in that. None of these things are problems until it's a problem. And then when they're 25, 30 years old and marriages are collapsing, go figure it out. So being that our chinuch system isn't doing what they should be doing here, because that's just my opinion. Um, and I, you know, believe I'm right. Um, so then the parents have to take the initiative and educate. And, and I always say, educate using facts. Don't educate using, you know, the scare tactics. And, and I mean this, you know, on a very, very, very serious, you know, component. When, when, when I tell people to, to look up things, you know, <clears throat> online, right? And I'm just going to tell you, like, we happen to have booklets. It's actually going to be added to our website in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we just redid the website where people can actually download fact sheets about, you know, various different drugs. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's so many ways where people can look at this. For example, I'm just going to read off something off my fact sheet now, right? And this is what I would say. Tadiko, I know you want to try this. Let's just have a conversation about it first. I know you're going to do whatever you want to do. I know I can't stop you, but let me at least educate it and explain what is the chemical makeup of marijuana. Let's talk about the short-term effects. You know, I know it's something people really want to try, but understand that it does, you know, it alters your senses. You'll see things differently. You might not recognize colors. You're not going to know exactly what time it is. You lose a sense of time. You know, people have an issue of mood swings. You know, they don't remember things. People can actually hallucinate. I'm not trying to, I just want you to know what your potentials are. You know, what are the long-term effects? Well, the long-term effects can be issues of brain development, areas that are needed for thinking, memory. You know, let's go through the component of, of what is it and then explain what is, you know, the amount of THC in marijuana is, is something that they were adding more and more to. And that's something that becomes a problem because it's a much greater risk of addiction because that component is a, you know, is considered a, a addictive substance. So, you know, these are just, and I'm just giving you a few off the top of my head, you know, Michelle, but these are some examples of educate, talk about it, talk about the increased heart rate. Oh, you want to be an athlete. You're working very hard. You're great at sports. Why would you want to do something that could potentially give you breathing issues? It certainly irritates the lungs. Well, I'm only going to use, you know, the, um, uh, you know, the edibles. Okay. So then we could talk about the effects of the edibles. I think it's important for parents to educate. Oh, let me go backwards. It's important for people to be educated, everybody, adults, yeah. children, whoever wants to understand it. That's what I would say. To tell parents how to parent their child, listen, I don't want somebody telling me how to parent my children. I can't tell them how to, you know, how to parent theirs. I could say to them, just remember, your kids see everything. That I can remind them. So don't do things in front of your kids. Don't make something you know, right. Let your, let your kids understand it. And if they do ask, give them the education component. I think okay. that's, and I say the same thing about all drugs. And we will leave it there. This has been fascinating, eye-opening, insightful. And I got to tell you, I am a big fan, as I mentioned. Obviously, you got a lot of passion. You got some strong opinions, but uh, you're in the trenches. You've got, you know, a, a, a strong sense opinions, of values. Passion. So w without the, <laughs> with or without the, the, the data, and it is unfortunate, maybe, with a lot of these issues going on in class, so we don't have enough data, but... To me, your experience and your knowledge and just the fact that you're so thought through, you know, you, every question, it's like you've thought about it. You know, you have you have a response. This is not uh, something new to you, something you haven't thought about. So I really appreciate every, everything you're doing. And I think a lot this will be very beneficial. Thank you very, very much. And thank you for the opportunity, because at the end of the day, 
awareness is key. Yeah, and awareness. That's something that you're doing. So Ashracha for that. And right. look forward to speaking to you again. Yes, I'd love to do this again. Rabbi Tzvi Gluck, the CEO of Amutim, and so much more on the Vindus podcast.